Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Hello, welcome everybody to a special bonus episode of Prophecy Girls. We have special guests. We've invited Becoming Buffy podcast back to talk about a very controversial topic. Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. It's been so fun so far. Just talking about random things. I mean, you guys probably won't be able to hear any of it, but we've been having a good time. <laughs> I, I'm super excited about this because I feel like a lot of times on our podcast, like we have to be very concise, but it's like this time we get to just kind of talk a little bit. Are you saying we're going to let you rant on in this episode? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just more so of like, a, oh, instead of like, it's like, oh, we can't talk about this right now because we have a 45 minute episode to get through. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. already been talking for an hour and we still have like 30 minutes left of the episode. Whereas like this, it's like, it's purely about, you know, the situation. Yeah. Well, let's go around and so everyone can recognize our voices. Uh, I'm Stephanie. I'm Kara. I'm Sarah. I'm Leah. I'm Tabby. <laughs> Great. And we invited Sarah Lee and Tabby on here because they're all lawyers. Whoa. <laughs> we are? I mean, yes. Yes, we definitely are. I don't even have like a college degree. I'm like, first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last time we had you on was for our table read. So you're actors and now you're lawyers and judges. And this is going to be a really fun trial. Kara, uh, who are we trialing today? We are putting on trial Joss Whedon. The creator of Buffy himself. <laughs> As you can tell, our panel is incredibly unbiased. And but yeah, I think the, you know, our listeners knew this was coming. We haven't really told them when it was coming, but we thought this was a really nice time to do it. And it's just, it's such a big topic that mm-hmm. Steph, you know, you and I talked about it and we knew we probably couldn't do it justice by ourselves. So I'm really glad that we've got the three of you on here to help us with this subject because it is so huge. And unlike our um, previous on trial episodes, which were about fictional characters in the Buffy universe, we're now putting a real person on trial (laughs) in the court of public opinion. Uh, So I just want to start off with a very general disclaimer for any of Joss Whedon's lawyers who are listening to this episode. Um, (laughs) Everything we're discussing here is alleged. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing that's been proved against Joss Whedon in an actual court. Uh, We're going to pull from some articles and books and interviews and quotes with people saying things about Joss Whedon, some of which he has denied or disputed or not talked about at all. So when we say we're putting this very real person on trial... Uh, this is a this is a commentary podcast. We're doing pop culture commentary here. We're not saying Whedon is guilty of any particular crimes. 
I can already hear his lawyer somewhere in the background just being like, you know, objection, hearsay. <laughs> but uh, no, we've all come at this. Uh, we have a couple articles to quote. Some uh, research was done on becoming Buffy's part <laughs> to uh, give a little more meat to this conversation. Uh, so yeah, please keep in mind that this is all our opinion but happy to hear what people have to say after this episode drops. Please share with us your opinions and your thoughts and uh, your take on Joss Whedon and how he is viewed in the media these days. So how we wanted to start off first was talking about who Joss Whedon is. And I, I think that means like maybe his public image and how it was before the allegations started to drop. And uh, feel free to jump in anytime, ladies, but for me, um, I understood him to be worshipped as a writer, as a creator, as a producer, uh, up until the allegations. <laughs> Lies. Up until the allegations, I, I, I had nothing but respect for him as in terms of like, you know, um, someone who takes in his content, who watches it and enjoys it. Uh, but mm, I would never have heard anyone say anything bad about him because his portrayal or his um, public view was that he's like a nerd one of the people, just a very overly creative person who could pass as one of us, is my opinion. Well, and I think on like the other side of that, before um, everything came out, because I started becoming a fan of, I don't want to say fan of Joss Whedon because I never was, but it was like I was a fan of his work. I started becoming a fan of his work pretty soon before all this came out. And so I still kind of remember like, what I kind of thought of him before and I just remember thinking like oh my gosh just this guy who like is really for women like really cares about his female characters blah 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 and then it was like then when everything came out it was like not only did my perspective completely change it was like then once I went back and watched all of his things that I used to like it wasn't pro women at all it was like even watching um Avengers Age of Ultron mm -hmm. like is mm -hmm. so anti-women like <sighs> Black Widow's whole storyline in that movie is infuriating and he was mm -hmm. like the main one who had like his hand over that like it's just like stuff like that where you're just like oh my gosh this guy did not care about women at all he didn't he was just about whatever he thought was the best storyline and he didn't care about the cost it made to the characters. I think Joss is so interesting because when you think about his work, you think about him, which is very unusual. At least it was very usual back in the 90s and the 2000s. I feel like now we're like Doctor Who, you think of Moffat. Um, you think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You think of Kevin Feige. Like you, you starting to associate the writers with their work or the directors or whoever. And I think the fact that Joss Whedon and his name is so part of his work. It's almost to the point where it's very hard to separate Buffy from Whedon, Angel from Whedon, Firefly, all that stuff. And so I feel like he really was, I mean, people, he had a God, not, well, he didn't have a God complex. I mean, now we think he does, but people used to think of him as like a god, the Buffy boards. I mean, they have the whole Whedon con. They have the Whedon verse. Like, obviously, we call it the Buffy verse as well, but his name is so intertwined with his work. And that was very unusual for that time. There's not many writers of media 
that that's, you know, so popular, you know? Well, well, Sarah, I don't know if I'd say it was unusual. I think what makes Whedon stand out from other creators who had that kind of respect is, to me, he's the first nerd auteur. Yes. Right? So when you think about directors like, you know, David Fincher or Martin Scorsese, you know, these people uh, who get followed from film to film by their fans, the people who are fans of those directors' works are usually like film buffs, film nerds. Sure. They're into it for the production. And Joss Whedon was the first auteur in that era that you're pointing out to be just like this everyday guy. He's just this guy, you know, he's this pasty faced ginger white guy. Um, he's just like you and me. He's ginger. Hey. <laughs> yeah. We don't claim him. Yeah. Not, us gingers do not claim him. <laughs> One of us. One of us. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's this, you know, this everyday guy. And that was part of his persona, right? Is he wasn't one of those totally. um, elites, even though he did, you know, go to to school for film and and television stuff. His father was a television writer. Like he does have a certain amount of privilege and access. And I think that's something that got lost in the mythologizing of Joss Mm -hmm. Whedon, like you were saying, right? He created Mm -hmm. this cult of personality around him where he's just this everyday guy who lucked in to writing this movie script that then turned into a TV show that blew up and I don't want to give him too much credit, but I think Joss Whedon had a large hand in the mainstreaming of nerd culture, right? Previously, mm-hmm. in like the 90s, it wasn't cool to be a nerd. Nowadays, being a nerd is mainstream. We nerds have the power, which I think is something we have to acknowledge more because it does come with privilege and responsibility. I also think that's a really good point that, um, you know, we're going to trash on this man, obviously, in this trial. But there's also good points to bring up on his behalf as well. And I think obviously being able to create this cult around his name, around his work and around himself, that takes some sort of charisma. Jeff is taking notes. (laughs) Yeah, How did he do it? How did he manage this? Um, He should get kudos for doing that. And mind you, the privilege comes into that as well. But... He did it, and uh, I agree with Kara that um, making nerd culture more mainstream is definitely something that he contributed to. In a lot of ways, he is a nah, – I don't know if genius is a very generous word, but he is brilliant in what he does for his own writing and his own style. Yeah. Like, I, I respect him for his work, and you can't say that just because you hate somebody. Sometimes, sometimes you can dislike somebody – but you can also be like, but I respect mm-hmm. that what you do, you do really well. Yeah. 100%. I think it's hard to like, I think all of this stuff that's been coming up about him has made it extra difficult as like a fandom. And I think we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but it's like, it's almost as if his name gets thrown in with the success of anything in the show. Um, whether that be like, I just like, I can just picture a scene that Sarah Michelle Gellar just does and blows out of the park and everyone sits there, not everyone, but people sit there and go like, wow, Joss Whedon is such a good writer. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, like, okay, like Sarah did such a good job with performing or, or it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's as if like the entirety of the show, everything was just Joss's successes. 
and I didn't really start to to notice it until after everything was coming out. I was like, shoot, I was like, in the beginning of our podcast, I definitely felt like I was like giving way more credit than I think I should have. Um, but it's like there are set designers, there are um so many Other people. writers. Yeah, there are producers, there's writers, there's the the talent, the cast, like there's so much that's going on that kind of um drives into it as well. But it's also like it's jarring to kind of I mean, we were talking about like, how did he do it? But it's like, sometimes I'll look at the interviews and the way that they talk about and intertwine Joss in the interviews and talking about the show is so odd to me. It's way different than other like people talking about their shows, whatever. They'll kind of mention like the the director now and then, but it's like, oh, but Joss really wanted this to happen this scene. It's like, they kind of be like, they kind of tell you him being very specific or him having the control over, but it's so weird. It's so like intertwined in the interviews and it's like every single one of them that he's brought up in like his decision-making in the show. And so I think it's kind of wired our brains to kind of do the same when we think about Buffy. So I think what I'm trying to say is when all the stuff is coming out, it's hard to look at Buffy and then also not see the cloud of Joss as well. Great point. I also think it's worth pointing out, you know, all of us here skew much younger when it comes to Buffy fandom. None of us were really around for when Buffy was brand new. Like, we were alive. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Most of us. Um, but, you know, like, I only caught the tail end of Buffy in its original run. And I was very young at the time. So I didn't really understand all of this, you know. We have to remember that, like, there's a significant portion of the fandom who are older than us for whom Buffy was this formative experience at a time when the web was very young. There was no social media. People would be participating on like the, the, the Whedon uh, message boards. Mm -hmm. Joss Whedon would post on those message boards and talk directly to the fans. He would come to like these tiny little conventions that would be organized. You had a lot more intimate access to him than you do with most creators nowadays, even though creators can now directly interact with fans on social media, those interactions are usually very shallow, very surface level, very fleeting. Whereas back in the late nineties and early two thousands, interactions online were often deeper and longer lasting because they were in the form of these lengthy forum posts. And, and we didn't in creating this cult, right? He was, making himself accessible to his fans. You could, if you were in like the California area, you could meet Joss Whedon at one of these events and hang out with him. And um, I imagine that must have been something very special to many of these fans who were growing up and seeing themselves represented in Buffy and in Angel, because these shows do speak to people who feel like they are outsiders. And kind of along with your point there, Kara. It's really interesting hearing Joss talk about his idea for Buffy, what what made him want to write about Buffy, was initially he was writing about someone who is um, ostracized, someone who is overlooked, someone who's kind of... Uh, and he uses his, you know, the classic girl in the in the alleyway, the blonde girl who always gets eaten by the monsters. And so when he's writing that, he there's a quote, I think, in the... Um, the forget which... Um, link it is that you sent. But there's a quote where Joss talks about how he's like, I realized that 
the story I wanted to write was about a young blonde girl. And it's someone we're going to write about her fears. We're going to write about how marginalized she is and like all this stuff. And so I agree that Joss is really smart, but I think that his genius is not so much in, I mean, he's creative. I think his genius is in telling good stories about people that their stories are not talked about very often. And I say that in a very in a very narrow sense, because obviously there's still aspects of the show like racism and all that other stuff. But it's interesting because I think he's not doing it for the reasons that we think he is. He's not doing it because he's like, wow, yes. I really want to champion this person or these this people group and stuff. He's doing it because he's going, ha that's a story that hasn't been told yet. And I think that's a really important distinction to remember is that Joss is going, what's a good story, a different twist, a different angle. And so once he realized there was a huge platform for that, there was a whole people that really wanted to hear this story and could relate with it. He seized upon the term feminist. He seized upon the term, yes. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, and then he realized that's his platform and that gets him in the door. And so it's just very interesting to go back and be like, is he actually a feminist? or does he no. just see a good story? I, you know? I agree with you so much, Sarah. <laughs> this is my thesis for the episode. Is Mine too. <laughs> whether or not we see Buffy as feminist, Joss Whedon is not a feminist. He's yes. an opportunist. Yeah. Yes. I don't think you could yes. be a feminist and uh, continually prey on women that you work with and use your yeah. power over them and against yeah. them. I think that's pretty much like the complete opposite of it. Yeah, he approaches his work calculated as opposed to empathetic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that tricked us for a long time. I think it speaks so much to the misogyny within our entertainment industry mm-hmm. that a show created by a white man purporting <laughs> to be feminist took right. off. Whereas you see all of these other shows created by women, like Charmed, same mm-hmm. era, mm-hmm. has its own little cult following. But it never blew up the way Buffy blew up Mm. because its showrunner and creator was a woman. And Mm -hmm. if we're going to, you know, if we're going to be feminist, we can be feminist, says the network. But we're going to make sure a guy's in charge. But not all the way. (laughs) And he'll take credit for everything. (laughs) But Buffy, you know, feminist, you know. Yeah. It's really interesting, kind of like. A, a specific example of that, I was reading through the book Slayers and Vampires. And originally, I don't know if you guys knew this, but they wanted to have Cordelia, Joss wanted Cordelia to be black. And so he was looking to cast Oh, great. Someone. A sassy black friend. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, the mean, the bitch was supposed to be black. And Not so- a trope at all. Yeah, I know. Um, but the network knew down the line that Joss wanted to have Cordelia in a relationship with Xander or somebody and there was the network was having a real problem with interracial couples and so Joss made the decision not to cast Cordelia as black because he didn't want it to limit his storytelling and I think that is a prime example of Joss sacrificing inclusivity something that was like would have been an amazing decision um, for people who are true like truly minorities for the sake of his storytelling and I think that tells you a lot about Joss at the end of the day he's going to do what's best for him and his vision even if it's at the sacrifice for what's maybe best overall yeah, and I think that this trial is quickly going to become uh, the patriarchy on trial or <laughs> the entertainment industry on trial. Because again, I like I agree with that so much, but we cannot lay all that blame at the 
feet of Joss Whedon because really there are so many powerful men that were making these decisions above him as well. So if I was making a show in the 90s and I was like, I want the main character to be Chinese. And they're like, no, obviously it has to be white. I'd be like, okay, because I want my show to get made, you know? Um, oh, here I am fucking defending Joss Whedon. But I'm just okay. saying. Hey, you need somebody to do it. I'm sorry you're the sacrifice. It's got to be me. It's, it's powerful men. It's also powerful women, right? Like think yeah. about somebody like Fran Kazooie who directed the original movie. She took his script and, and Whedon wanted the script to be wanted the movie to be far more overtly girl power than it turned out to be. He wanted it to be that darker take that he eventually realizes in his series, right? But Frank Kazooie was like, no, we want this to be the summer blockbuster and the teen heartthrob romance, you know, Luke Perry and stuff. And she turned the movie into what it was, for better or for worse, right? You can have whatever opinion you want in the movie. But I just wanted to point out, right, that when we talk about these structural elements it isn't just men doing it. It's people of all genders who uphold mm -hmm. patriarchy because mm -hmm. they they, they see it. it as a way to power and fame mm -hmm. and opportunity. Mm -hmm. Well, I also want to say that, like, yes, he Jospin was, like, limited by the network and all that. But I really do think that, like, let's just say, for instance, he did end up casting Cordelia as, like, a black woman instead of uh, Charisma. And, you know, a season down the line, the network's like, hey, we don't want her in a relationship. I legitimately think that if he really wanted it, he could have pushed for it. Because at that point, mm -hmm. she would have already been an established and loved character. Or just a character people had an opinion on. And so I think the network wouldn't have cared as much. But also, if they didn't care, then fine. Don't give her a love interest. Yeah, he just pushed her good character. He pushed mm -hmm. for Amber Benson, right? Like Once you mm -hmm. have an established character... You can push for them and fight for them a little bit, and a network will give you some leeway. At the very least, like if you're not going to have a person of color in like in a relationship or whatever, at least make them three dimensional. Like if we can't have a interracial couple, have the character three dimensional. You know, I feel like that's way more important for people to seek representation of themselves. Not necessarily like when that's great to have that representation as well, but like during that time they were starved for it. So have somebody up there, make her amazing, make her like deep and um, all the things Layered. people deserve to see. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like they just need to be in a relationship, but that's, that's awesome. And then cherry on top Instead, of Instead we is. got Kendra. Oh yeah, gosh. For three episodes. <laughs> Justice for Kendra. I really think that the whole thing of Joss Whedon being, well, I mean, I don't know if he specifically said it, but like the whole defense for like, well, uh, he was limited by the network and he tried to get one black girl. Like, first of all, why was it so radical to just get one? <laughs> like mm. there should have been more, but also like, uh, I think that's BS. You're a director, you're a writer, like, you, if you wanted a character to be black, if you wanted it, you should have pushed for it. I do know that the network had a lot more pull that first season of Buffy because, for instance, like we talked about how Angel was not going to be as big of a character, but the network was like, we want Angel on because they're like the Buffy Angel romance is what's going to get the viewers in. And so Preach. that's why season two, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it drew <laughs> me in. Um, season two was so heavily Bangel focused. Um, and so there is this level of the network was kind of heavily involved as it started out. But as it went on, like Joss has famously said, the network was very hands off of Buffy and 
because of it, Joss kind of, I think that's when he started developing a little bit more of a God complex that transferred onto his other works because there wasn't as mm -hmm. much of an oversight in those early days and he got used to having so much control. Okay, but then have Anya be black. Oh, I'm not excusing it for sure. You know what sure. I mean? Like ha yes. have, yeah. have Faith be black. Right. Have Drusilla be black. Have like literally any one of those people end up having love interests. They end up being really deep like female characters. Yeah. Any one of them could have been. I also think we have some good examples of Joss Whedon having zero oversight, right? Think about something like Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, which he, he produced independently or his production of- Oh, really? Uh, much ado yeah, about nothing. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah, I remember when Dr. Horrible came out. It was this yeah, huge event <laughs> on the internet. I have it on DVD. It I love this, it. It was this web series. Right. But again, right? White cast. Like, mm, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and in terms of the storytelling, like, it's not the most progressive story. No, no, no. And they're um, all his friends that he casted, right? So, so if, <laughs> if, if we want kind of this control of like what happens when you remove all network interference from Joss Whedon, yeah, nothing. We do have examples <laughs> no, of that. No, yeah. no you don't understand. He couldn't. The network. <laughs> it was too hard. He tried. He really, he really wanted like a black person, but he just couldn't. His hands were tied. It's not his fault. You could just see him in the writer's room. He's just like, ooh, the network, ooh. Yeah, yeah. I bet he sure really, does. really fought for that. I'm really, I, I'm Poor positive. Man. He really he's got, he's it. got a note that's written in crayon with a backwards S that says no blacks people. Yeah. <laughs> no, literally. He's like, no sorry ethnics. guys. <laughs> I really tried. I fought for it. Women. Women. And then, like, he's like, now go get in line. But I feel like like what you guys are saying, like he's an opportunist. I feel like we kind of been leading up to people really accepting and really wanting a strong female lead for a feminist show. I think people, like the, all the nineties was like that resurgence of huge like feminism. So I feel like he was seeking a great quote unquote business opportunity with his pitch of Buffy. But I feel like having a lead person of color was just in that, that place where it's like, this could be good. This could be bad. And so he's like, I'm not going to risk it, but give it a few years. He would absolutely take advantage of that. I think it was during that time. True. And I think that it was definitely like during that like weird 90s thing. We all know we have, there's an issue with that. I'm like a 90s baby. I'm like a 90s comfort movie type of person. But anytime I watch, I'm like, there's that token <laughs> black person. There's that token Asian person. It's like, it really, it's awful. But give it a few years and he would have absolutely cast way more people like that because that's what people were wanting. That's what people were asking for. And that's what was kind of like coming into media. We haven't even talked about how creepy he is yet you know what i mean like what a creep <laughs> because the the article about him in vulture there was yes. a, a great quote in there he was talking about buffy he's like he wants to be her he wants uh, to fuck her no. i hate that quote hate it like, well, that's the quote for me where it's like well that's like that obviously he's not a feminist right and mm -hmm. he's creating this hot girl like in leather pants who gets consistently attacked by monsters and that's one high really valid way of yeah well that's one really valid way of looking at the story as opposed to girl fights monsters and win it's girl mm -hmm. continuously gets attacked by monsters hot girl hot girl right so <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I, that was such a good article too because i think was it a female author yeah it was female mm -hmm. her name was lila shapiro yeah so the fact that he actually gave her an interview mm. is interesting. Yeah, so I have some thoughts on that for for later on when we come towards the our wrap up of the episode and how he comes across in that profile. <laughs> yes. But I agree same, with you, Steph. Same, same. It's very interesting. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And I, yeah, I I remember when he got that award in 2006 from Equality Now for being, Mm. you know, a a, a male feminist or whatever. That did not age well. Why did the male get an award for that is my question. The whole event was honoring men in feminism. Why? (laughs) (laughs) When you really think about it, like, why did the men need this trophy to be decent to women? But also the irony of (laughs) it. It's also the irony to be like, women have been snuffed of like opportunity and awards and their spotlight for so long. So let's make a whole event dedicated to men (laughs) who have succeeded in an area that women should be succeeding in. (laughs) And that's what I'm saying is for me, I think that was my moment when I started realizing something was Mm. rotten about Joss Whedon, because at the time I was still under the impression that I was a man but I considered myself a feminist. But I remember thinking, I'm like, if I were in that position, I wouldn't, I would refuse that award. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I believe men can be feminists. But as you just said, right, we shouldn't be centering men in the fight for gender freedom. We should be centering people of marginalized genders. And for Joss Whedon to accept that award, I think it really kind of twigged me to the fact that he wants the publicity and the fame and the kudos more than he actually wants to do the work. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's pretty much just like, it's like celebrating people for the bare minimum. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you took a step today. Good job. Here's an award. Like, Yeah, it's like when white people accept awards for anti-racist work or DEI work. It's no, like, literally. no, don't give me an award for that. I'm still learning and I'm going to screw it up. Give the award to you know, a black person or a person of color mm-hmm. who's actually like struggling against the stuff. It's as if the parent who's trying to teach their, their child to walk for the first time gets the award for the child walking. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you taught them, you gave them the opportunities. Here's the trophy for your child walking. You're like, no, the child did the work. They should get the, they should get no, the trophy. No, on top of it, it's like if the child was giving the award to the mom. It's not yeah. even like, oh, yeah. so there's the third party. It's the child being like, good job for teaching me. You gave me the opportunity to walk. <laughs> Should we move on to talking specifically about Joss Whedon in the Buffy years and oh, the boy. allegations therein? Oh, boy. Let's do it. When did Charisma come out? It was right when we started the podcast, wasn't it, Kara? Mm-hmm. In early 2021. Well, mm-hmm. well, that was the big... Uh, media reveal because there were also the allegations regarding Joss Whedon on the the DC set for um, Justice League. Justice League, thank you. Uh, With Ray Fisher and Gal Gadot. Mm. And also, like, I know it's an allegation. I know we have to say that it's all allegations. (laughs) She's putting up that finger quotes. Finger quotes. Just (laughs) aggressive air quotes. It's all allegations. It's all our opinion. But it's very interesting that the thing that Gal Gadot was saying is the exact thing that he made Scarlett Johansson uh, do in uh, Age yes. of Ultron with, um, who's the guy who plays yeah. Hulk? Mark, mm-hmm. Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. It's the literally exact thing, which is like, yeah. even from same a non-creepy yeah. perspective, why are you using the same exact trope twice? Like we love in it. the exact <laughs> same way. Yeah, the nerds love and it. Like, we did love. <laughs> that's not even good writing. That's not even good like directing. Is like reusing the same stuff you've already used in a superhero movie, and because no one said anything about he it. He does. He does that with all of his female characters. If you mm-hmm. look back at his stuff, 
They're all in misery. They're all in Which like, is what know, I'm trying anguish. to say is like I'm not trying to say he's not a bad director or anything because clearly I'm <laughs> and no room to judge. I have no say in that. But I, I do think that when you look at the difference between his female characters and his male characters, there's a lot more repetition in his female characters than his male yes. characters. Because I don't think he actually understood women. I think he just I think he just hit a niche niche, whatever the frick that niche. word is. Niche of like a good way to portray a woman in the 90s and then never grew from that or at least he understands the audience's reaction to what he writes how he writes women Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we'll we'll get to uh his tenure with marvel and and dc in in a little bit but let's focus on buffy so steph you were talking about how charisma carpenter posted on social media uh quite recently in like 2021 but she has been talking about these things for years you know, it started off a little bit more diplomatic, a little bit more mm-hmm. veiled. And mm-hmm. then over the years, as she progressively gives less and less of a shit about things, because <laughs> and this is my favorite thing about women as we age, right? Is we just <laughs> get to this point where we're just like, fuck everything. We're just yeah. going to stop, Whatever. you know, mm-hmm. biting our tugs. So yeah, and I, so I think, Sarah, you've got some uh, some notes about kind of the early days of people talking about Joss Whedon and his involvement and his behavior, right? I do. So um, Jose Molina, he's a writer on Firefly. So I know this is slightly outside of Buffy, but he also spoke out against Whedon's behavior, saying casually cruel, same thing as charisma. Um, But we've talked about it on the podcast. Dan Weber, he wrote episodes like Lover's Walk and The Zeppo. Um, He was only a writer on season three before he was fired by Joss at the end of season three. And we've read a couple of his quotes on there, but he talks about how Buffy was not collaborative. He talks about how Joss would rewrite scripts like constantly. And he, there's several quotes of him saying that he, like Lover's Walk, for instance, the famous speech that Spike gives to Buffy and Angel about being love's bitch. He says, Joss wrote that. And he goes, it's always the parts of my scripts that people point back to. And are like, oh, wow, that was such a great speech. He's like, Joss wrote that and stuff, which, you know, Joss's show. But he struggled with um, finding a moment in Lover's Walk that had his direct influence. And he cites the part that is like mostly him was the moment when Oz smells Willow. And he goes, I put that in there. And like, he was like really excited that that was his, and an episode that he wrote. And he says he struggled so much to take credit for the episode. Um, And there are several quotes of him kind of talking about Joss in a very like, um, oh, wow, he's like obviously so good at what he does, but I'm not really that great. And I think I'm just not a comedy writer. I think I'm not a drama writer. Like he was very down on himself. And a lot of it was because you could tell that's what Joss had been telling him because Joss ended up firing him and being like, well, your voice is just not what's right for Buffy. And we see that over and over again, charisma going, well, it's just my anxiety. That's why I can't perform. And her eventually, like when she's coming out being like, maybe it's because my anxiety was because I was not in a safe work environment where I was Mm -hmm. being bullied. And it's so interesting Mm -hmm. to go back and, and read those quotes now knowing what we know and being like, oh my gosh, these people were bullied by Joss and it really affected their self-esteem. It affected their work environment. It affected what jobs they took in the future because they put themselves in a box because Joss was elevated to such a level that his word was almost law. So it was this idea of if Joss says that and he's so he's a genius, he's amazing, he's so clever, that must mean that's who I am. That must mean that's what I'm good at. And 
I think I sent this to you, Steph, on DMs, but there's a quote by David Fury in the book Slayers and Vampires, which I thought was super, super interesting insight into Joss. He says, I don't know if Joss has said this, but she, Maggie Walsh, is at least partly inspired by his own mother. His mother was a college professor and she was a very big feminist, very strong-willed. I think she had a huge impact on Joss's life. Certainly the fact that he is an ardent feminist himself. I think his mother can take credit for that, but she was a very strong-willed, very strict woman, but one that Joss respected very much. I believe that Professor Walsh was at least partly inspired by his mother in the sense of being the very good, strong-willed professor that students were scared of. The idea of a mother figure was interesting. She was sort of Riley's mother. She was Adam's mother. When she had her scenes with Buffy, it was very much like Buffy was dealing with a mother-in-law character. And that was really interesting to me because what happens to Maggie Walsh? She's ultimately killed by her son figure, son figures or whatever. But there's also like really creepy aspects where like Maggie's watching Buffy and Riley have sex. There's things like that. But then I looked up... I, yeah. <laughs> but then I looked up quotes that Joss has said about his mother. He's referred to his mother as sexy. He's referred to his mother as. <laughs> are you joking? I'm not joking. No, I really people wish are I was. Freud right every day. Think about so all bad. the maternal characters on yes. in the Buffyverse, right? Like Cordelia and Angel. They get Angel. hit on by men. Um, Gina Torres is Jasmine, who's kind of like propped herself yeah. up as the mother of all. Like. You know, um, Darla, he wants, he he only likes women to be pregnant when they're sexy pregnant. Cordelia's pregnant twice. Totally. And I think it just speaks to a repeated problem and pattern with Joss's thinking. Like I say it all the time, your normal meter is broken. Like it's almost like he had such an unhealthy relationship with his mom. And I mean, that again, that, um, the undoing of Joss Whedon is the name of the article I keep referring to, but he talks about how he always praised his mother, but then he, as he got older, realized that his parents were incredibly controlling. His parents were <laughs> Instead like, of Joss constantly... on trial, it's just Joss in therapy. Joss's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Joss therapy. <laughs> we're just like psychoanalyzing him, diagnosing him. I'm like, you definitely have mommy issues. You definitely have this. <laughs> no, but I think that it's just it speaks to a pattern and it's very disturbing for me at least and how he views women. It ultimately leads to mm-hmm. how he views women. What What's alarming to me in the examples that you brought up from what they're saying is like, we're saying like they're, they're masking a lot of what they're actually wanting to say, but we can read it through the lines now because we, all the allegations are now out. Um, but it just sounds like he created a toxic environment where no one felt nurtured. Like in your career, in that type of environment, you want to be nurtured by people you believe are brilliant and people who you look up to and are the showrunners and the, the people who are in charge of your career, but also are helping you create this wonderful show that a lot of people love. So the idea that he was making that experience toxic and it sounds like he was breaking their spirit if they yes. weren't on his good side. Yes. And that's not a good person. That's not mm-hmm. something that good people do to people who are working under them, to people they have power over. Yeah, Charisma talks about how he would go up to the cast members all the time and joking, being like, you're fired. And she, and then they would freeze. And then he'd be like, oh, nobody ever laughs when I say that. And she was like, it's because it's not funny, Joss. And she's over there going, I think he's joking, but she doesn't know. So you're living in that constant peril of, am I fired? Am I not? Like, 
and he was famous for killing off people. Yes. The way he treated James Marsters mm. because he was so Gosh. upset that Spike was so popular. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're thinking, am I going to get written off the show if I do something that he doesn't like? And so then you're left, you're, you're it's a position of power, a person in a position of power over people and is abusing that power. And so you have mm. people that just stay quiet or live in this constant state of fear because they just want to be able to feed their families, you know? <laughs> Or there's that that one story uh, from The Undoing of Joss Whedon. Uh, It was a woman writer and he hated her script. So he put it on display for like 90 minutes and just like broke down every sentence that she did and made fun of it in front of everybody. And I like hearing this is what upset me like the you know obviously the the power dynamic over the actresses and stuff like uh, that's horrifying too. But it was what he did to his people like him writers like him Mm -hmm. it's horrendous how he was making them feel in an environment that he created yep i i think there's a repeated pattern of joss being your best friend if your ideas line up with his but if you encroach on his time you encroach on his creativity whatever it is he will bully you and that's why he uses the same action same actors and writers in a lot of the things he does because i think he likes that idea of like oh this is someone that will either fall in line or this is someone that like will work mm. alongside what i want to do and kind of push through my ideas and i don't have to like fight them on everything and yeah it's just well, it's but also since great. he was highly like acclaimed too, like if those people keep on and stay with Joss Whedon, looks good for them. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's feeding this like continuous yes. nepotism. So it's like, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's very toxic. Well, it's also interesting too because uh, his ex-wife had come out and said back in like 2006 or something that he's mm-hmm. a cheater, that he's not a feminist, that mm-hmm. everything is not is false. But because she was the uh, quote hysterical ex-wife. And maybe because Hollywood wasn't ready for the reckoning yet, Mm -hmm. uh, no one took it seriously or people did. Some people listened, but most people didn't. And it wasn't until the Me Too movement that Mm -hmm. helped Charisma for for sure. But Gal Gadot and Ray Fisher, everyone felt more able to speak out and not receive the type of backlash that they could have had they done it previously. So I'm really glad that Charisma jumped on that train it's really, really disheartening that she had to wait so long for everybody to be ready to hear what she actually experienced on set. It was uh, 2017 when Kai Cole came, came out with the, the allegations against Joss there. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. So not yeah. actually not even that long ago. But you make mm-hmm. a good point, Steph, right? And, and many people, as we've talked about these things, like me too, have made this point, which is it takes a village to prop mm-hmm. up these people. It's not like Joss Whedon's behavior was a secret. People knew. They all knew and they went along with it because that's what you do to keep your career intact, to keep moving forward in this toxic industry. You know, these allegations are coming out and there are elements of the fandom who unfortunately don't want to let Joss Whedon go and leap to his defense and talk about how people are just, you know, being opportunists and taking advantage of Me Too and they just want to pull Joss Whedon down. And it's like, No, like even if some of these allegations are untrue or exaggerated or something like, like I believe them Mm -hmm. because this is the pattern over Mm -hmm. and over and over, Mm -hmm. especially with cis white male creators, because 
they are in this environment where the more power they get, the easier it is for them to explore these more toxic parts of their personalities because nobody pushes back against them. Yeah, and I think people forget that just as it takes a village to prop up those people in power, it also in some ways takes a village to tear it down. That mm-hmm. just one person standing out oftentimes isn't enough, especially if they're the first voice. That these systems were put in place brick by brick, person by person. So it takes a systemic dismantling of it. And that we really, and that's why it's so important to believe and support women who come out and talk about this stuff. Um, because they need our support because this system is so big that we're, we're fighting against. Well, I think it's like, it's so important to, like you said, Sarah, to just believe women, just because we know that women are oftentimes more than not, not believed. So we know when we speak up, there's a huge chance that we won't be believed. So just the courage to do that, but it also speaks on how much work we still need to do as a society. Because I remember seeing so much criticism when Christmas spoke out on her timing rather than people just believing what she said. Why didn't you say this earlier? Why is this coming out now? (laughs) It's it's your fault that he kept abusing people. (laughs) You know, like the abuse is continuous (laughs) even still then. It's like, like, okay, like, so take 10 years We've grown a lot in 10 years, right? But there's still so much we need to work on. But it's like 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been received as well. You know, even last year, two years ago. So the fact that she's been speaking out now, it's like, no, let's not criticize the timing. And she's (laughs) finally in a position of power to speak out, right? If she had spoken out back when she exited Angel, her career would have been over. Absolutely. I feel so bad for Charisma or anyone that Joss abused because as – these things happened, you know, 25, 20 years ago. Uh, they continued to happen over the past couple of decades, and his star continued to shine and get bigger and bigger. Because I remember when he yeah. took on the Avengers role, uh, the Avengers mm-hmm. directing and writing that movie, and it was a huge hit. And it's it's a great movie. I love the Avengers. And I remember feeling like, as a lot of fans did, feeling proud that Joss Whedon was at the helm of that because we're all proud of Joss Whedon because we love Buffy and we love Angel and everything he's done before. He felt like our little cult indie little nerdy director guy and now he's doing this huge blockbuster so we're like wow good for him but look at all his victims who are probably just like god I'm never going to be able to share my truth. I'm never going to be able to tell the world what he did to me because I either won't be believed or they'll be like, whatever, look at him. So if we're moving on to talking about more more recent Joss Whedon works and allegations associated with that, uh, Leah, earlier you mentioned Avengers Age of Ultron being like very bad with its portrayal of women yeah, and stuff. Sorry to jump the... No, no, it's all good. I just So I haven't seen Age of Ultron. So could you maybe educate me? Why is it so bad? What's no, going on? Okay. I could talk about this all day because... Uh, Age of Ultron is like probably the worst Avengers movie. It is. And I'm not saying that because it's bad. I I actually love Age of Ultron. But as a cohesive movie, and when you look at Mm -hmm. the characters, it is the worst uh, Avengers movie. And part of the reason why it's so bad is because Black Widow's character gets literally the boot. Like, like, it's so bad because... In the first Avengers movie, and in Iron Man, um, that she's definitely sexualized, but she also is set up as her own individual. 
like she's an assassin she's a spy like we know she has a past but she's set up as someone who can handle herself and she gets the job done all this stuff then age of ultron came out and it was like they have this whole storyline where her they have like a forced romance between her and hulk which romances can't they don't have to take away from a character but they can in certain like circumstances she's sidelined as a love interest in the movie she get like she gets barely i don't think she gets any screen time by herself every time she has screen time it's with hulk um or talking about him or talking about him and hulk gets or bruce banner gets screen time by himself um on top of the fact that they have this whole storyline where she can't have kids because at the end of her initiation in the red room, she she was sterilized. She was sterilized. So she can't mm-hmm. have kids. And then they relate her to Bruce being a monster because he turns into Hulk. They have this whole scene where it's supposed to be their connecting moment of like we're we're related because we're both <laughs> we're monsters. compatible. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, how? dare you say that about women say that like if they can't have kids that like they're somehow that sounds like, very joss weeded yeah yes they're mm-hmm. somehow deformed or they're somehow like missing something or their life isn't complete or like that they're like a monster because well, she like, like came off as that she's broken right yes, like i'm yes, not a full woman we can, we can relate because we both are missing something females <laughs> in the weed and verse just can't be happy no it's like we both can't fully experience life like that was mm-hmm. the whole yeah. Thing and then it was like my one purpose is taken away. I'm I'm not a woman. And then at the end of the movie, they're like trying to run away together. Like they're trying to like run away together, and he leaves. And then that's when we get her a moment alone. Is when he leaves. The ending of the movie, we get her alone. And then the next movie, it's like brushed off. Like they tried and like kind of fix it, and they're like they you know they were kind of love interest, but like I'll also add that Joss Whedon ripped off the concept of Ultron, which is what became I Robot you Jane mm-hmm. and our mm-hmm. Lord and Savior Moloch the Corrupter. Exactly the same concept. <laughs> Praise Moloch. <laughs> Praise. Yeah. Which I think it's fine. It's like take inspiration from yourself. I don't really care. Yeah, but just leave women alone is what we're saying. No, literally, and so it's like that whole movie just makes me so mad because I'm not even like the biggest black widow fan like i've grown to love her a lot more but like movies like that really shaped how i viewed her at the time like i i remember watching like that movie and just being like oh my gosh black widow is so lame like she doesn't do anything like why is she even here she's taking up screen time blah 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 which you know was my own personal beef going on but like <laughs> i remember because i was also young when those movies that like, came out because like Age of Ultron. What did Age of Ultron come out? Uh, probably like 2014 or something. Yeah, somewhere so I would there. have been like 13. Like watching those movies, I just remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, Black Widow's like useless. She does nothing in this movie. And then now I rewatch it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how could you, as a director, do this? Like Black Widow is such an interesting character, and you made her look like that, and she was the only woman on the Avengers at this time. 
everyone else was a man and then wanda got introduced in that movie but wanda wasn't an avenger till the end of the movie but even wanda's arc was completely like her exploding in her emotions was because her brother died so it's like you see this repeated thing of like these women's arcs being affected by the men around them but i also think it's really interesting to note too that scarlett johansson who portrayed black widow in that movie was actually pregnant at the time mm-hmm. and so it's very very interesting to watch this storyline about the sterilization and all this other stuff but then also be like so you were able to and i know there's a lot of nuance there but it was like you're clearly able to work around scarlett johansson's pregnancy in this movie why could you not do that with charisma you know what i mean i bet he didn't call her into his office and say are you gonna keep it yeah you're getting shot (laughs) oh my word and also as like a side note i don't know if this is necessarily joss or if this was someone else but Elizabeth Olsen has spoken out about her discomfort in the first costume they gave her, yes, she did which not is like the it. costume at the end of Age of Ultron because it has a lot of cleavage. Okay. I personally love the costume, but I'm also not the one wearing it, so it, my opinion doesn't matter. But she's spoken out many times how she really didn't like it. She felt over-sexualized in it and all this stuff. And then after that, they, they started giving her costumes that she liked. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that of course the episode or episode the movie that she's given her most sexualized outfit is mm-hmm. the one that Joss Whedon has input yeah in. and, and it goes to show that the influence that Joss Whedon has on these characters on the way they're portrayed in his films how that leaks into how media then treats these actresses and how people view the actresses because like you're saying like why do i care about black widow well there's so many reasons to care but joss whedon chose to center on her womb um and then if you watch these behind the scene interviews with scarlett johansson and with um elizabeth olsen their questions are like how like did you work out really hard to get into the leather what underwear like, were you wearing yeah what underwear yeah I were watched, you naked dude under i there? watched so many um videos last night on that that poor girl and like that's obviously overall the industry and how terrible it mm-hmm. is but joss whedon contributes to that by his portrayal of strong women but relegating them down to their bodies and to what their bodies can do i.e make babies or not and then they're monsters can we briefly rewind and just for a moment can we just touch on dollhouse and just how incredibly creepy dollhouse is from the beginning to the end i have not watched it i have not watched it because the whole premise skeeves me out i just can't i don't get like this is the thing is like eliza dishku right like she came back she came back to work with him right right she played this this incredibly abused role the whole thing, you know, and Joss Whedon, he says in The Undoing of Joss Whedon, he identifies with Topher, who is the yes, nerdy I wrote scientist. That down too. Yes. And then he had yeah. a relationship with a, I want to say like a sex therapist or something where he was the master and she was the doll. And they, yeah. they like, they like played it off like that. But then also too, so like, did you guys hear about what his plans were for the second season of Firefly? I didn't watch no. Firefly. I did. Okay, so do I want to know? You can take this out if it's if it's too explicit. You could totally take this out. There's like no no pressure. No no, but, share um, it. It's like okay. 
So I have not seen Firefly. I just know like the premise and stuff. So the the gal who was the main love interest of Nathan Fillion's character, don't remember her name, but she was Inara. essentially Inara. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. But she was supposed to be kind of a prostitute. She was a sex worker. That is so, literally what she is. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. But that she's classy, cool. mind you, right? Like <laughs> she's not. Because yeah. so, it's Joss Whedon's fantasy, yeah. right? Yeah. Is mm-hmm. this yeah. is a woman that you pay for sex, but she's really, really classy, so you feel good about. It. Oh but way. she yeah. really likes you she's like anyone else she just has the yeah, history yeah, yeah. and is well, a, her, yeah, yeah she's no. she's a companion uh-huh. so her whole yeah. thing is that she's like a sex she's literally like a, a therapist by having sex with you like yeah. she'll make you feel better and like help you heal by having sex with it's mm-hmm. again it's yeah. creepy and twisted and so so what was the plan for season two sarah oh my gosh <laughs> this i've never heard anything so disgusting in my life so the plan was she was supposed to be kidnapped and taken onto this ship why am i not surprised it was supposed <laughs> to be like the opening episode or something like that you can look this up so the nathan fillion's character and the others were supposed to get onto the ship and they were supposed to find um so I think they showed it in Firefly. I'm not sure, but there she has she carries this box with her that has this um, this needle, this serum, and the idea was is she injects herself with it if she thinks she's going to be sexually assaulted, if she thinks she's going to be raped. So when they come in, and it kills whoever it is that rapes her, so they come into this ship to find her, and the ship is full of dead men. Oh, 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 and that's season two. <laughs> Yay. That is so, actually horrendous. I think what we're seeing here, I think what we're seeing here is over his career, you know, this article that we're quoting extensively from Vulture is called The Undoing of Joss Whedon. I'd argue we could call it The Unhinging of Joss Whedon because nope, it feels like real. as his career has progressed and he has acquired more power and clout within the industry he has been more and more open and less and less subtle about his creepy hangups when it comes to women, especially, right? So Buffy is a show and we look back at it and we often call it feminist because at the time it was doing so much more than the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, Angel could be described similarly in some ways. And then we get into like the Firefly years. Firefly has its moments, but it's it's still a very it's it started to get a very to be a very like broy show, uh, and then we get to Dollhouse. And it's just like, oh, okay, so you're not even pretending anymore. Yeah. Dollhouse is right. like the premise is just kind of creepy. Because hear me out, it's this female right who's a doll essentially, and because I watched the first episode because I was curious like two years ago, and it's like she gets a different persona right, and then like she goes to bed and then she wakes up and it's all erased again, so she kind of has a clean slate. But it's like the doll version of her is like very numb down. It's almost as like you're. Thank you. Yes, I was trying to make it sound a lot nicer but yes childlike is the term i uh-huh but it's like storylines like that freak me out i'm like this is so creepy to watch like (laughs) no but it's like when you have like these like sexual interactions with these people it feels dirty it feels like this person doesn't have like the will to consent this Mm -hmm. is creepy same thing with with the um buffy bot i'm like why are these storylines in here they're so just objectifying and creepy and because this is my theory i believe i sincerely believe this i don't know if it is true i think joss whedon sees women as objects 
Uh-huh. Absolutely. This is what I mean when I say he's he not, not feminist. How could he not? <laughs> that is not a theory. <laughs> that is fact. Allegedly, it's fact. Allegedly, I'm just saying it because I got in his head and I don't want to be. Well, the very fact that he was like, you know the best part of Buffy was? The Buffy bot. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create a whole show, choose the hottest actress from Buffy, and make her a Buffy bot. And I'm an evil genius. Can you make that a TikTok, please, Steph? <laughs> yeah, right. For real. That was, that was, you're, you nailed it. That is what Dollhouse is. And I think for me, that was the point where I really just stopped caring about Joss Whedon's stuff. You know, like, yeah. I've watched all of Dollhouse. Um, I, I just got to the point, like, I got to the ending of it. And, and as a science fiction fan, I recognize the power of Dollhouse's premise because it is a social commentary on the ways in which we use technology to manipulate our memories. But you cannot separate the brilliance of that idea from the way he treats the female mm-hmm. characters in that show. Or how it's ex- executed. Yeah. At that point, I'm just like, I think I'm kind of over Joss Whedon. I'm like, I think I've reached the end of the road. And I say this, I did watch the first half of uh, season one of The Nevers, which is uh, a new series on HBO that he mm-hmm. created, mm-hmm. but I only watched it because he left the show halfway <laughs> through production. You're like, maybe they they know something that uh, <laughs> we should. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about Ray Fisher, Gal Gadot, mm-hmm. what went on with uh, Justice League and um, Zack Snyder? That's when the allegations, like, I mean, obviously he's creepy, he's abusive, he's a bully, all these things are still wrapped up into that. But suddenly race becomes a big issue with him where he, uh, according to Ray Fisher, his role was greatly reduced in his, sorry, let me start from the beginning. Joss Whedon came in because Zack Snyder had to step away from completing Justice League. So Joss Whedon was paid to come in and I I don't know if they gave him freedom. They're like, it's too dark. We need you to lighten it up with your classic quippy Whedon eye view or because maybe because he was so good with the Avengers. They're like, we want something similar. And DC has never been able to figure out their shit. I'll just say. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But what he did was he reduced Ray Fisher's role and he sexualized Gal Gadot and also rewrote a lot of her dialogue in ways that she would push back at. And she was like, this is not where I've been going with this character. And this is not consistent with her previous portrayals. And like, you can see the side-by-side shot, Whedon versus Zack Snyder's eventual completion of the movie. Um, It's it's like, there's one, um, Wonder Woman's talking to Batman and they're talking, great. You cut to the Whedon version and it's her ass (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's a shot what? of her ass in front of Batman's face. So it's like they're still having the same combo, but the angle is from the bottom instead to show her ass. And then um, Gal Gadot's main gripe too was that, like you said earlier, uh, Leah, the example of the Flash falling on top of Wonder Woman and like putting his face against her breasts. Didn't she refuse to do that? Yeah, she got a body double and Joss Whedon was furious about that. Didn't he threaten to end her career? Yeah, he did. He was like, you're you're over if you don't do what I say. And so and she was very vocal the whole time about it. Like mm-hmm. she never held back. She's like, no, this was abusive. And Ray Fisher, same thing. I, I wonder if it was like after he saw the completion of the movie and he saw how little his role was and his role is supposed to be very important to mm-hmm. whatever the plot was in that movie with the boxes and such. So the, the racism that they were feeling mm-hmm. from that, because there's also an article or an interview that Gal Gadot did where she said 
Joss Whedon obviously mistreated her. And then Joss Whedon said, well, she doesn't speak English. It's not her first oh, language. Yeah. I was going to bring that up, but I couldn't mm. remember if I just imagined that. No, you no. Didn't. Yeah, he was like, "There, she doesn't, like, she doesn't understand English. Therefore, she, like, she probably misunderstood my man, like, what I was the trying to say. The gaslighting. <laughs> and then she no. responded to that by saying, I understood him perfectly. And I was like, period, Go girl. Off, girl. Yeah. Like, yeah. Watch any interview with her. She speaks perfect beautiful english like, that she's oh speaking, like what? five different languages or something like i, know, I remember this girl charisma is in, like so intelligent yeah. yeah yeah no yeah so he tried to undermine that and then with ray fisher he was like he's a bad actor period right i was cutting him out because i didn't think he could do the role and his character stupid and i didn't want him in there right is it you know is it a coincidence that he is the only black superhero in the movie like we don't think so <laughs> so i know that like in that article too with like ray fisher there was so much that was going on behind the scenes too but people can easily look at that and be like oh that's not a race thing but it's like you have no idea what like he was going through like the um uh, discrimination that could have been going on behind the scenes but it's also like we will have no idea what it's like to be in the shoes I mean us like here are not in the same shoe as um, Ray Fisher was so it's like we will have no idea what it's like to be surrounded by people who have these great careers too but are treated differently and sometimes a lot of the times it's like it's done in small ways that people can't microaggressions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so people can't be like oh this they said this or it's it's all just slow slow ways to kind of push them on the, the back burner to kind of push them on the side yeah i feel like just in the same vein as we should believe women you know when a black person says it's anti-black racism you should believe them yeah so i'm just so intrigued by this era because Joss Whedon replaced Zack Snyder. And I don't know, has anybody here watched either of the cuts of Justice League? I have. I, I have. Seen both of them. I've yeah. I haven't seen the Zack Snyder Is the Snyder cut, cut better? Uh, I, I don't think either of them are that great. Um, okay. And I think it's just continuity and stuff. And I think it's, I think there's a lot of things. I don't think it has to do with the directors or writers. Well, on, I think on an absolute like side note, how embarrassing is it to be like, my movie got ruined because the other director sucked. I'm going to release my version and it's going to be so good. And then you release it and everyone's like, it's still bad. It's the <laughs> same awful. Yeah. But no, but I, I will add, I will add that my husband really loved the Zack Snyder version versus Great. the other one so, so this and is I was what like, i'm okay. just curious about yeah because i don't i have not followed Zack snyder's career that much my mm -hmm. only other real understanding of Zack snyder's movies comes from sucker punch which oh, yeah. i <laughs> hate it for the way that he objectifies baby in that movie and i watched that movie and i'm like this is a man very similar to joss whedon who fantasizes about a powerful woman fighting people in a sexual way that was my impression of sucker punch so i've always kind of like carried with me a little bit of a negative impression of Zack snyder and maybe that's just completely unwarranted maybe his other movies have been better maybe he's grown since then but it's interesting to me that you know we didn't have to take over from Zack snyder and then snyder came back in and was like oh like this this is worse than they i didn't like that <laughs> They didn't like that. I'm going to take that out and pretend that was never my vision. Right. Okay, so <laughs> it's possible. I have a <laughs> hypothesis. And again, this is just like, this is not fact. This is my own theory. But from what I have read about what Warner Brothers has said with Zack Snyder and like all the like behind the scenes. So according, there's a lot of like he said, he said, 
I was going to say he said, she said, but a lot of hearsay. So Joss comes in and he says that Warner Brothers wanted him to fix it. And so in his mind, he thought that meant he had an open book to do anything. Zack Snyder comes back and Warner Brothers doesn't really say either way, but it's implied that they're like, oh yeah, we didn't mean for him to rewrite and do all those reshoots and all that other stuff. But honestly, We're sorry, I think- Zach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't know he was going to do that to you, man. <laughs> advantage of us. <laughs> right. Well, I think DC, like Steph was saying, DC has not had a good track record of being very great with their super films. Like they're- They, they- shit the bad. They yeah. really have. Their casting has not been super great with some of the, the actors that have had major I issues I would say recently. one of the only things DC has done good recently is pick good casting most of the time. Obviously, there is, you know, some, you know, interesting choices. It's hit or miss. But as a whole, I'd say the best thing they've done so far is pick good people, but then absolutely drop the ball on the writing. Mm-hmm. So my theory is, is that I think that Warner Brothers was like, okay, so it has to be, Justice League is really big, it has to be really great. And so they were willing to bring in Joss Whedon to come fix it. I think they they were happy with what Joss Whedon had put forth. I think that they were like, okay, this is gonna be great. But then when the fan reaction was, this is not great, they were like, way it was way easier and it also worked more in their favor to say oh it's joss whedon it's not us that gave the green light for this we're gonna let Zack snyder do his thing it had to do with the reshoots it was the reshoots so then Zack snyder comes in and they, that's why they gave him such a massive budget because they're like we put a lot into this we want this to be really good and so then the, it came down to i feel like not that Joss isn't a bad person. I'm not trying to, I always feel like I'm like arguing for the the person that we're like arguing against. But I think that Joss, I think he became a scapegoat in a little bit of a, like in some ways, because I think they were trying to make it seem like they weren't the reason why Justice League didn't do as well as it did. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just my own personal thing. I think that- That's yeah. really sad though, because what this means then is Joss Whedon's fall from grace- ultimately is not about these allegations <laughs> against him. The fact that Warner Brothers was like, who can we scapegoat? And they're like, this guy. All that stuff came out and they're like, whoo, we picked the right person. <laughs> so let's talk about Joss Whedon uh, and what he is up to now, that profile in Vulture. And, you know, Oof. is he canceled? What do we think? Yeah, he's canceled. Sounds like he's just laying low. He's just a rich man that just lives in Santa mm-hmm. Monica. Good for him. <laughs> um, what you're saying is he's living your ideal life. You want to be a rich man in San Yes. Monica. When will I get my Joss Whedon journey? I want to be journey? a rich man, period. A wit- rich white male. <laughs> right. Don't we all? Oh, like, how easy they have it? He's saying he's doing work on himself. He's finally decided that, like, well, I can't work on my scripts and I can't work on my shows, so I'll work on myself. And, like, good for me. And I'm like, okay, okay, sir. <laughs> he appears in the article I think he wanted to come across like he has you know, he's above the allegations. Like he, it's like, I hear it. I don't agree. I don't agree with any of them. Or I'm going to be like, well, this is I what I thought it was. I don't remember doing that. That doesn't sound like something yeah. I would do. That doesn't sound like me. Oh, that, that, you know, this is why I wouldn't do that. Like he did a lot of that. Um, so when he claims that he's reflecting on his life right now, he's not. I, he's, so he's moping. My impression from that article, I felt like he wanted to come across as the villain. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's decided, you know, based on this backlash that he's experiencing, he's like, okay, I'm going to own it. You know, I am I'm going to recast myself, not just as a victim, 
but as a villain because of you know those things about like Arden Lee uh who's the, the Sarah mentioned earlier was like the sex therapist he dated that he wanted to treat mm-hmm. like a doll and stuff like in the article he's kind of like yeah yeah I'm proud of that like, he's like um, he's, he's like Mother Gothel from Tangled right like well now I'm the bad guy then like I'm just gonna <laughs> yes I, I feel like that's he's like owning that narrative yeah yeah mm-hmm. and I feel I wonder if that's if if his plan is to ride that back into uh prominence in a couple of years right like oh. once this dies down he can come back and be this counterculture hero of like, oh, you know, they canceled me, but I'm coming back. Just like Louis C.K. is making his comeback to her right now and joking about the very allegations that yeah. caused his career to be suspended in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a really good point. I could honestly see it either going that way or just him letting it, like, quote unquote, die out coming back in a few years and just acting like nothing happened. Because, I mean, we've seen it work for other people. But I also yeah. really feel like it, it gets worse when you don't address it. Um, people, it tends to stay in the air longer. Whereas if you sit there and go, yeah, I did that. Everyone goes, oh, um, oh, did he just own up to it? And then it, it, there's like a shock. But then people kind of like move on. That's usually what happens unless it's like this major, like I'm not going to be forgetting this anytime soon. This is some pretty grotesque stuff. But it's like that could be a mindset as well. It's like people don't really expect people to sit there and be like yeah i did that like it we kind should, of yeah we should like, never Whoa. underestimate the ability for a, a man to make a comeback in our society i mean you know <laughs> louis ck but even, and even looking at like black men right like um bill cosby's coming back oh my gosh what do you mean and what do you where's he coming back from isn't he in prison did he come get, out he's gonna get out yeah he's gonna get he's yeah. getting out yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I did a Twitter thread of where are all these men now who were yeah. caught up in Me Too, right? So it's yeah. interesting um, that you you mentioned that he's rebranding himself as the villain, Kara, because I think he is. Um, but when I was reading that article, I saw it as, yeah, 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 I did I did these things. Not everything. He obviously didn't own up to everything. There's a lot of gaslighting. But I feel like he was like, Yeah, I'm the villain, but it's because of I have PTSD because of my childhood mm. it's because of my parents like i feel like he's switching the narrative for where it was more instead of it being just simply self-deprecation it's it's because it's trauma it's things that i can't control yeah, the, the childhood where he semi confesses to letting a kid die in a pond <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was such a strange part of the article he's like yeah now that i think back to it I remember like calling that kid over to come play in the pond and then I just left him. <laughs> That's him doing the work, Kara. <laughs> I don't think I made it all the way down there. I was like, I was exhausted, dude. I was like, I cannot take any more of this man. That's him doing his, his therapy work and going all the way back and working on himself <laughs> and blaming his mom. He's like, oh, this whole time I thought my mom was great. You know what? She's the reason I am the way I am because she's strict. <laughs> like, I don't think Where so, Where is this sir. coming from? He had never said any of that before. His mom had always been his hero in all the interviews mm-hmm. and all the speeches he gave it was not until very recently like that article where he was like oh you know it was very hard you know being my parents child and I was bullied by my older brothers and it's like wait a minute I I don't understand this he's following in the WB's footsteps or Warner Brothers footsteps (laughs) I think you're gonna (laughs) I'm a scapegoat well this this is my scapegoat then right it was all Zack Snyder's fault really like he just he really messed up the first few years of my childhood and then I had to come in and take over and... mm-hmm. but it's also like the idea of like anytime you make a villain in a tv show and then you're like oh shoot like we need to redeem this character somehow let's make them a victim of someone else that's worse 
So then they'll have a quote-unquote redemption. A person that comes to mind is Chuck from Gossip Girl. It's like episode one, he has an AR uh, attempt with a character in the show. And then like he's just nasty. And then they're like, shoot, people are liking him. He's really sexy. How do we make him like like redeemable? Then they make create this whole storyline where his dad is like abusive to him so that people kind of forgive him and move on but it's it's kind of like that mindset it's like everyone's mad at me so i'm gonna make myself a victim i'm gonna bring somebody else that's worse so that i don't look as bad and so that like people will feel pity for me and it's like that whole it's it's a form of gaslighting as well let me read this one part of the article where he's talking about his fall, his fall off the pedestal. And he says, uh, first he says, like, could I have done my marriage better? Like, don't get me started. Could I have been a better showrunner? Absolutely. Should I have been nicer? He considered the question. Perhaps he could have been calmer, more direct, but would that not have compromised the work? Maybe the problem was he's been too nice, he said. He'd wanted people to love him, which meant when he was when he was direct, people thought he was harsh. In any case, he decided he was done worrying about all of that. People had been very every weaponizable word of the modern era to make it seem like I was an abusive monster, but I think I'm one of the nicest showrunners that's ever been. He's trying what? to gaslight all. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much what you're saying is is that where Joss Whedon is now is no different. Moping. <laughs> he is exactly well, he, he's not currently working in yeah. the industry as far as we know. So. Yeah. But he has learned nothing. He has improved. <laughs> uh, not improved. He's yeah. almost. He's probably worse now because he has more like power and authority in the industry. Well, and but, again, that's that's why he's been canceled. And like uh, cancel culture is a whole other conversation that we you know can yeah. have right now. But the point is, is that because he has not willingly said, you know what. I'm reflecting, yes, like for, it sounds like he started to do that in this one little paragraph, but then he's like, no, you know what? I was actually really nice and people don't understand my tone and that's their problem. So if he was a little bit more humble, <laughs> you, like again, the bar is so low, really, all he has to do mm-hmm. is be like, I've, I hear you, I learn, I'm going to take some time to reflect. And then he could come back with in five years with another great hit. But he's not doing that. And that's why I believe he's going to stay in the pit that he himself calls it a pit for a very long time until he realizes what he needs to do to reconcile what he's done. Yeah, he, he's taking the wrong lesson from this. It's, it's kind of like all these capitalists who their reaction to the US baby formula, formula shortage because of a monopolization of the market by a single company in a single factory, uh, their reaction was it, gee, maybe monopolies are bad and go against the free market. It was women are bad mothers for not breastfeeding. (laughs) (laughs) You learned the wrong lesson here. It's always the woman's fault. Even in a capitalist system where it barely benefits women, it's always women's fault. I think there's grace, but there we have to have this recognition that there are consequences for actions. And so I think there's a difference between a slip up and a mistake and a systemic pattern of behavior that shows that your normal meter is skewed, that you haven't learned anything. I think, Joss, it, we all could have maybe been like, all right, those were slip-ups. You've changed. You've grown. But he's showing it's a continued systemic pattern of behavior and a mindset that he has not changed. And so, yeah, I think he's, he's going to stay canceled. We don't need him either. This is the thing is people are always defending him being like, but look at all this wonderful stuff he's brought us. Like, wouldn't the world be impoverished if it were not for Buffy? And 
but we have I, I love Buffy as much as the next fan, right? This is why I agreed to start a Buffy podcast with Steph. Also, she had dirt on me, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> That's um, another conversation. The trial of Steph. <laughs> sure. Maybe, like, Buffy is great. And every, things that Joss Whedon has done, like, yes, they can be very entertaining. But I always think about, like, how many people in this industry had their careers cut short or didn't have an opportunity to do something just as brilliant or more brilliant and more fulfilling in our society because of abuse from people like Joss Whedon, right? They treat it's like, people nicely while they did it. Yeah. He was nice. He was the nicest showrunner there ever was. <laughs> Were you not listening to Leah? Did you not oh read that? Oh sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. We're so eager to make excuses for abuse when it comes mm -hmm. uh, a as a result of like artistic freedom and license right it's like well he had to be that way so we'd have this amazing media and it's like if this is the price of amazing media i don't want it mm -hmm. yeah so why don't we wrap this uh trial up um i don't think we can really give him a verdict because it's not like it's gonna go anywhere we can talk about joss whedon's legacy or shadow over buffy and all of his creations his shows and his writings and how we feel about it moving forward and how we deal as fans. I think it's really important to take our cues from the women that were a part of his work. Um, that's not to say that objectively we can say, oh, his work was good or it had flaws or whatever. But for me personally, I I look at the fact that Charisma and Sarah and Allie and Michelle and all these women, not only have they embrace their characters but they have leaned into them even more in these past few years more so than I've ever seen them do mm -hmm. so and I think that we can appreciate the show Buffy in particular um because of what these hard women hard-working women poured into um and the, their talent and what the writers the female writers and even those underneath Joss what they did and I think that for some people, it's going to be very hard for them to ever watch Buffy again. I've known so many people that just are like, I can't watch it. I'm done. Um, and that's completely understandable. But I think for those that um, want to continue watching Buffy and Angel and all that, I think that we can appreciate it for more than Joss. We can appreciate it for the talented women that poured themselves into it. Um, and yeah, and I think that makes me willing to continue to talk about and embrace the show because it's more than Joss. It's death of the, I guess, writer in this case, you know? Mm -hmm. Well said. Part of these characters are like a, a part of these actors as well. Like we wouldn't get the Buffy today if it weren't for Sarah Michelle Gellar behind the scenes fighting for a lot. And I think that a lot of that is credited to her. Um, and we only know of a few situations where she's like, fighting for either um something to be changed or being like this is good like she gave like it sounds like she had a huge voice in it um in some ways and in other ways not so much maybe um later on in the show but like i think that these women a part of who they are is also a part of what they poured into in the show so um I'm happy that they're able to look back and kind of save their characters from all this mess. Um, and I'm thankful for that as somebody who adores the show and somebody who loves each character and kind of use them as their own living like beings, like their own like people to me. Like I'm like, I want to be Buffy. And part of that is because of Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, when I see Buffy, I, I, I don't see Joss and I'm, 
I know that it's hard for some people, like Sarah said, but it's like, I don't know, like you, you see it more than just what's written on paper from Joss Whedon. Some of the feedback that we receive for Prophecy Girls has been from longtime fans who don't want us to ruin the nostalgia of the show. And that's what they think we're doing. We're here to like, you know, attack Joss Whedon in every episode and tear it apart because it doesn't hold up to today's standards. Um, and our pushback to them, our gentle reminder to them, it's that sometimes reviewing these shows, knowing everything we know about the creator and also the things that happen behind the scenes and reviewing the show with that critical eye helps maintain that nostalgia. If you're able to separate the two, it's be like, yeah, this was really great, but now I recognize things that I wouldn't have before. It shows that I'm growing. It shows that um, we as a society don't put up with the bare minimum in a lot of these cases anymore. And I think that's really valuable in rewatching creations of Joss Whedon. Um, even the Avengers, right? Great movie. But now when you see and you know what's happening behind the scenes and how he sabotaged one of the only female characters in the, in the movie, be aware of it. Be aware of it, but you're also still able to love yeah. things that he's created. Um, I think it's very tempting. I see people comparing Joss Whedon and his fall from grace to J.K. Rowling and how her uh, very vehement transphobia and homophobia these days is tarnishing Harry Potter. And, and I do see the comparison to some extent, but I don't really think it's a great comparison, both because... As an author of books, she had a lot more creative control over those stories than Joss Whedon did, as we were just discussing. But also because, you know, Joss Whedon hasn't so passionately torpedoed his own image in the media by saying uh, very controversial and harmful things about entire groups of people, right? I see a better comparison with Gene Roddenberry and also Rick Berman from Star Trek. So Gene Roddenberry was the creator of Star Trek back in the 1960s. And he developed this show that was, for its time, incredibly progressive, incredibly cutting edge. You had a diverse cast of men and women of different races. He was always fighting with the network for, for more inclusivity. And, and he gifted us with a franchise that has lasted for so long now and given us so many amazing positive portrayals of diversity, even now into 2022. Some of the new Star Trek is so good. We would not have that without Gene Roddenberry. Yet at the same time, there are many allegations from multiple women that he made, you know, passes at them inappropriately. He assaulted them. He had affairs with them. Um, so I see that as very similar to Joss Whedon and, you know, Rick Berman, who was the executive producer for many of the Star Trek series in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, uh, has had other kind of similar allegations against him and how he, he had a lot of control over, well, we shouldn't have gay characters in Star Trek and stuff. So, you know, I look at these two men and I look at Joss Whedon and I'm like, you can give us this gift of this amazing series or franchise that espouses progressive ideas that fans then take and turn into almost like a creed. You know, I, th I think a lot of Buffy fans see the lessons they learn from the show and from the characters as a way of like 
constructing their beliefs and their worldviews. I think that's very interesting and powerful. And we can love these series and we can be grateful to an extent that this original creator had the opportunity and vision to give us that gift. But when somebody gives you a gift, you can be grateful. It doesn't mean you have to overlook or excuse every single thing they do from that point on, right? So that's that's how I see Joss Whedon is, you know, I am grateful that Buffy is in this world and in my life, but it, it doesn't erase, it doesn't negate any of the harm that he has possibly done uh, during or since. And I think on top of that, because I mean, obviously I agree with all of you guys, I think an added layer to that is just the fact of like, I think in my conscience, I feel like the way that I can watch the show and have a podcast about it, all that stuff is by talking about the bad stuff because that is a way of honoring the people that fought and, you know, went in there and were verbally abused or went into work and didn't want to work and, and did and created this beautiful thing for us. And it's not a way of saying like, oh, you know, your sacrifice was so worth it because it's like you shouldn't have had to do that for a show. But it's like if I can watch the show and try and honor them and bring light to what they went through, then I feel like it's worth it for me to make it. Not that it's worth it for what they went through, if that makes sense. Well said. Totally. That was a great conversation. What I want to do really quickly before we say goodbye is uh, we cannot sentence him to anything because, hey, we it's allegations and hearsay. <laughs> However, uh, if you could, if you could dole out a punishment for Joss Whedon, and it could be as imaginative as you want, or it could be straight up like he should do community service or he should do more therapy. That's fine. But like, what 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 is a, an appropriate uh, punishment that you might give him should we have said he is guilty of being a creepy dick? The comfy chair. <laughs> I don't know how many people will get that reference. I wish, okay, I, in like a magical world, like in a in a Scrooge Nightmare Before Christmas type of world, I wish he could go like out of body and be in the victim's body of all the interactions with him and feel what it feels like to be in a position of lesser power and know what it feels like in those instances, like how he made those people feel, if that makes sense. So it's like have to pretty much mm -hmm. relive everything that he ever made other people experience and then have to come back and just live his life knowing and feeling and experiencing everything he made everyone else experience. I think in a real world too, this may be cruel, but it's like you don't get any royalties <laughs> from anything you've made um, and you don't get any new projects if you're going to say it this same way. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. you need to get a new therapist, one that we, uh, the whole fandom agrees on. <laughs> um, <laughs> we assign it. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not just like, a, well, I've had a therapist for 10 years and he agrees with me. Um, <laughs> it's like, maybe get it, one that we all know of and approve of. What's his name? Mr. Platt from Beauty and the Beasts. Oh, yes. <laughs> true, true. Oh, man. Just we loved him. Mr. Platt. I... I want to, and I, I don't know what the legal situation with Buffy right now is, so I don't know if he'd get royalties. I don't care if he does. I would like to see Buffy rebooted. I want to see like a Black Slayer. I want to see a show that is incredibly mm. queer with 
trans and non-binary and gay and ace and pan characters. I want to see them remake Buffy for the modern era without any involvement from Joss Whedon. I want to see us wrest the legacy of Buffy from him (laughs) and really kind of like perpetuate it in a progressive way, uh, take it out of his hands, put it into the hands of marginalized creators. I think that's the the greatest. I don't know if I'd say it's a punishment. I I think it's your just desserts is you gave us the show, but we have decided you are not responsible enough to deal with it anymore so we're yeah. going to take it out of your hands and we're going to give <laughs> we it people the people who are to do a better job it's starting yeah. to happen too i mean kendara blake with her new series right and who knows what disney will do with that material but i think that's really just i think for me i think it's punishment for joss not being able to create and have full control mm-hmm. over whatever it is that he does create so i think a really like meaningful learning experience for him would be to make him a writer, but he has to be underneath a showrunner. He has to be like the lowest tier writer. He has intern. to write some- intern. Yeah. Zack Snyder has to recut everything he makes. There's <laughs> <laughs> a Zack Snyder cut of everything he makes from now on. Exactly. Right. And so he has to write stuff and he has to send it in and they have to go, no, not good enough, do it again. And then we may take your ideas, we may not. And he has to watch somebody else interpret his ideas and maybe like rewrite all his stuff but just i think he needs to not be in a leadership position for a that's very, very, very poetic long time. i think he mm-hmm. needs to be in a position where he has to be accountable to someone else for what he writes and how he has to learn to listen and to follow yeah like back to being a script doctor right well because that's how he started his career mm-hmm. yeah. he started yeah. his career as a script doctor he yeah. wrote yeah. a lot of scripts he wrote um back to alien three toy story um, the first yeah, so like he, it's almost like we're bringing him full circle. We're like, okay, well, yeah. you do work for us, but we don't trust you anymore. How about yeah. we yeah. take up a script from Dollhouse and then scrutinize it for ninety minutes, <laughs> make him <cry. laughs> make him sit yeah. there the entire time, or like you know, like one of those like you know, one of those cheeky startup production companies <laughs> with all these young like Gen Zs and yeah. like younger millennials, and right. he has to go work under them, <laughs> see how it's yeah. done. Totally, because yeah. I mean, like. I mean, at this, at the end of the day, he's not going to change unless he wants to change. Like we could assign mm-hmm. him all this stuff, but I feel like having to actually walk in other people's shoes and do all that stuff, that is probably the best way that he would learn anything if he was even open to that. That's great, everybody. Great job, everybody. Thanks so much, everybody. Like I said at the top of this episode... I don't think Steph and I could have done this without some backup. We really appreciate all of your opinions. All of you just, you brought so many interesting perspectives and thoughts that Steph and I wouldn't have had. So thank you for agreeing to come on the show and trash talk Joss Whedon. <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh, um, our, our pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. This I know, thanks so for needed. thinking of us. I'm glad you guys know that. We're mm-hmm. we're haters. <laughs> <laughs> Your reputation yeah. precedes you. <laughs> Anybody? Obviously, we talked about becoming Buffy and Sarah. You've got a companion podcast investigating Angel. Uh, anybody else have anything you want to plug to our listeners? <laughs> or just celebrations? Yeah. Good news. <laughs> uh, nope. Leah's off antibiotics. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> you did it. Maybe in a year, Leah won't be sick anymore. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Because we will definitely have you back. Yeah, we'll have you back for another table read as well eventually, oh, right? Yeah, so. we'll see if I'm sick again. All right. Well, then, 
the last thing that we need to do, I uh, just want to thank our supporters of the show, especially our chosen ones, Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Teza, Alexandra, Kyle, Kayla, Destiny, Brady, Erica, Justine, Allison, Lena, Jace, and Julian. Bye, everyone. We'll see you after our summer break. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!